Hi, it's Garen with Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Need a new roof fast? Consider Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Our rapid repair team will get you a quote within 24 hours and will always repair before we replace. One call does it all. Shamrockroofer.com. The show that takes you home. The Home Stretch with Sterling Holmes on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Welcome to the home stretch, ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM, 94.5 FM. Dylan Michaels behind the glass. Big show today. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joins in the second segment, giving some more Chiefs Super Bowl thoughts. But first, NFL season's over, baby. What does that mean? Well, I saw the Drake walking by with no beard. That must mean pitchers and catchers have reported. Time to bring on Todd Lebo, who is down in Arizona right now. Lebo, how are you? I'm doing great, buddy. Everyone's reported now. Full squad today for the Royals. First uh, full squad workout today. And it is uh, it's a beautiful, sunny day in Surprise, Arizona. I'm sitting here watching uh, the Oregon State Beavers and uh, the, what is it, uh, UC Santa Barbara Gauchos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're playing a little ball game here at Surprise Stadium. They always have some college baseball out here. And there's a nice crowd on hand. The people, the, the Beaver fans love the Beavers. Mm. They're out here watching them. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful 75-degree sunshiny day. This is the reason they have spring training out in these places, days like today. I don't want to start off on a negative note, but I feel like one of the main storylines, at least of the Royals so far, was Brady Singer losing his arbitration case. Uh, the Royals deciding to uh, pay him what amounts to little less than $400,000, went to arbitration, Singer did not win. What was your takeaway from this? Because in my mind, I understand the thought process of, well, you don't want to obviously let every single player win. But when Brady Singer, you're hoping to re-sign long-term, Brady Singer, you're expecting to be your, your, your ace this season. That's pocket change in the grand scheme of things. Well, I mean, listen, this is the way baseball works. And I, maybe this is a bit of a change from this regime to the previous regime. Remember, there was, I'm not sure any case ever went to arbitration for like maybe 15 years with the Royals, uh, when Dayton Moore was a general manager. Maybe this is that transactional stuff that we've been talking about. I mean, the rules are in place for the rules, right? Arbitration is there. You can't agree on it. They send it to a guy. You make your case, he picks. So it sounds to me like the Royals did the right thing as far as raising his number wasn't what it should have been. But you're right. I mean, is it going to make him love you more? Probably not. But is Brady Singer, if he pitches like he pitched last year, going to play for the Royals in, in three years? Probably not anyway, just because they won't be able to pay him as much money as other teams. This is not going to happen in terms of city. Sounds like something very intriguing is going on back there. Someone hit a bomb? No, I think the, the Gauchos just made a big play, got off the field. Oh, the good, good job for the Gauchos. But my, my, my thought process here is, you are still considered the new ownership fans and media. We're still in, uh, interested and intrigued to see what they are going to do, how they're going to operate. Sure, you could say this is more transactional, but also you could say it's them being cheap 
It's them not spending the extra, again, 375 k to try and make this guy happy. Again, you're right. Brady Singer might not re-sign, but you want to do everything possible to make him happy here. This is not going to make him happy. When you already have a 8.5% decrease from last year's payroll, you're sitting at just over $86 million this year. Last year was 94. That's not telling fans, hey, we're excited about this squad. We're going to spend more money, bring some guys in. This seems, all right, how is this any different than the previous regime? Well, it is always easy, sir, to spend other people's money. I mean, we'd all love to do that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you I feel sorry for billionaire baseball owners, okay? I'm not. But I will tell you that this particular ownership group bought this team in November of 2019. And four months later, the world shut down. They said, you get to play 60 baseball games. But, oh, no one can watch them. You can't have anyone come give you money to watch them play. All right, that's good. And then the next year, their TV partner dumped off every cable provider except for a couple, and they're like, you can only have 12,000 people come to the first games until, like, July. And then you get up to a bad start. Okay, great. And then the next year, hey, let's go ahead and have a lockout. Okay, let's have labor strikes to start the thing. They haven't had anything normal here. So, you know, $375,000 in the in the overall scheme of, like, baseball's budget may seem like a drop in the bucket, but it's probably a bigger drop in the bucket to this particular ownership group than it would be uh, with the Dodgers again. Yeah. No, I get it. I understand. It just is not what I feel like uh, we were maybe led to believe. It it felt like there was going to be a change of pace. Again, there's still obviously time to see that happen, but when there is a a new stadium being talked about being built, I would like to see the on-field performance first, then talk about building a new stadium downtown. Uh, One thing I want to get to, have you seen the new bases in person yet? They said... (laughs) How how big are they? Well, they don't look like some clown show out there, but they're, I mean, they're, they're bigger. It definitely looks bigger. And it's going to be, you know, baseball, as all sports are, it's a game of inches. You know, guys get thrown out on field, like, by a couple of inches. Guys are, you know, out at first base on a bang-bang play. Well, they've just got a little closer. There will still be bang-bang plays. There will still be uh, plays that are a little bit further away. But I think this, uh, is, they hope, makes the game more exciting with maybe some more steals. Only getting the throw over twice. Um, maybe we'll get some steals in the game, a little less swing and miss and going to the fences. Maybe a little more, you know, the shift is changed now. Maybe we drop a few more hits in, steal a few more bases. They think it'll be a better brand of baseball. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the word that <coughs> Matt Quatero used today is it's going to be chaos early. This is all brand new. Now, <coughs> excuse me, many of the guys in the minors, have used some of these tools. But the guys in the majors haven't had any of this stuff. And it's going to be a little wild that first month or so, especially spring training. It's going to be the real run-through. But it'll be pretty wild when they finally get going on these things in Major League Baseball in regular season games because they didn't just put a couple rules in. We're talking pitch clock, yeah. the big bases, the shift, um, the number of throws over the first base on pickoff attempts. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of stuff that, that's going to be pretty wild to watch. And uh, I, I'm, 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 all for one, I'm like, you go for these things. You try to change things. You, if people are turning away from your game, try to make it better. 
Yeah. Maybe some of the things won't work and they'll dump them. But you've got to try. Yeah, I'm looking at the bases right now, and the, the stats right here are that minor leagues that use the bases saw a slight increase in, to, in stolen bases. Now, I've not been the biggest champion of Rob Manfred. I think some of the way he's gone about things uh, have not been the correct way. But you got to give credit where credit's due. I think trying to do these things, trying to switch it up, like you mentioned, is a step in the right direction. Sticking with uh, Quattraro here, what has he said? What has he been like? Can you get a good vibe from him down there in Arizona? Yeah, I get a I get a definitely good vibe from him. You know, he's uh, had his first big team meeting today with the guys, and he's never been a manager before. So this is you know, he, he never had to talk to me this much before. He's never had to you know be the guy in charge of anything before. He's ready for this though. He's watched some really good managers go through baseball and do this. Um, this is a hard job though. You mentioned what you were talking about with the with the Royals and you know the payroll, you know all the different things that go along with it. It's not easy, but he just came. You know, he's been in Cleveland and he's been in Tampa. Not easy there either. It's kind of easy in some places to just have a team that's really good. But you can have a lot of money and not win, or you can have a lot of money and get good players and play right and, and win. They're going to try to have to get good players and play right and develop them here and, uh, and win without spending tons and tons of money. If he gets that, he knows what he's walking into. I think he commands um, everything fairly well. At this point, he's certainly ready for this, and we haven't seen the manage the games or do all that. But as we've talked about a lot, you know, Sterling, there's not a whole lot that goes into the managing games now. I mean, you can get the data. You can tell him, am I supposed to steal here or hit and run or throw this pitch? A lot of that stuff's out there. So the get someone up or down or use them, those, those are pretty small things anymore. I think a lot of the stuff is done beforehand, and it's done honestly, by computers and things like that. They're talking about, here's the deal. So, you know, you can't have, um, you can have like a tablet in your in your uh, out that's got some information on it, but it's not everything. So back in the clubhouse, you can have all your guys with all the pitching uh, data, spin rate and drop and all that stuff. You can get that stuff real time, and they can have someone run down and give them a basically a boilerplate piece of paper that has the data that they need for this particular pitcher, and they can look at that inning by inning and help make decisions that way. All right, he's lost, you know, one or a hundred RPMs on his, on his um, spin rate or something. We're going to get this guy out. Maybe something that you couldn't – I think really a steep baseball pitching coach and managers could, could kind of see before. But they can just have that stuff handed to him within minutes now. So a lot of these decisions, they all just something that says, if this guy's spin rate goes to this, he's out of the game. He's going to get beat. You know what I mean? So I think it's a little easier to do the in-game managing stuff now. The question is this, can he get the team to believe in him, believe in each other, and believe in kind of a new way to go about, the, about things? And you love analytics, that's your thing, right? Um, I think Ned Yost was probably resistant to analytics. I think Mike Matheny tried to get into analytics because it was late to the game and tried to learn. But I think now we've got some guys who this is how they were uh, for, for years now been playing, coaching, and analyzing baseball is this way. So just, if you're just a guy watching the game on the field, you're not going to, you know, whatever, you're not seeing any But for the baseball nerds like you, you'll probably see some things that are different. And uh, I think Petraro, so far so good, had lost a game, had won a game, but I like what I see from him. Yeah, you can call me a nerd, and I will actually agree with you here, because yes, I am excited to see a more analytical Royals team. I know it's extremely early. Uh, you might not have any idea of what it's actually going to transpire, 
you know, the first day of, of full spring training. Pitchers and catchers have been there, but you've been around a while now, Lebo, so you, you, you might have a good feel. Does this feel like a different spring training just under Matt Cotraro, or is it still way too early to tell or get any sort of feel when it comes to this? It's a little early. It's funny, the last time I was here was Mike Matheny's first spring training. In, in the last next couple of years, it you know, got weird, didn't have one. So this feels a little bit like that. It's a new guy, right? But the difference here is there's new ownership as well. We talked to John Sherman today about stadium and payrolls and all that kind of stuff. So this is pretty new that we've got John Sherman is here. I guess, well, I guess he was here with you, And J.J. Piccolo is exactly like he's the real boss now. And they've made a lot of changes in the, the coaching staff. I mean, when Mike Matheny came in, he came in and they already had some guys here who hung around, you know, Cal Elders and stuff like that. They got a new pitching coach at the major league level, this guy in Sweeney. He's a really smart guy. He comes about this in your way, you know. And Quixaro, uh, I remember Mike Matheny had, like, taken, like, a, you know, for better or worse, like an online baseball analytics course, right? He he was old school, but was learning to be new school. Quixaro is new school already, right? So it, it does have that different feel that way, for sure. But you also don't, doesn't take much to Google, hey, projections for win totals on the year. And it, people don't think much of the Royals, right? What do you see? 63? 62, 64 wins, that's not much. And uh, we'll have to see if this team can do it up to do better than that. When it comes to some of the young guys, obviously Vinny Pascantino is one of the first guys that comes to mind, Nick Prado, Bobby Witt Jr. What are you looking from them in spring training? Does, is Nick Prado going to get the opportunity? Is Vinny Pascantino going to continue to rake like he did at, at times last year? Is Bobby Witt Jr. going to stick at shortstop? Or do you think a, a, a move to third uh, suits him best? What are you looking from these young guys? Well, I would love it if Bobby Witt was a shortstop. I mean, I, I would love it. Everyone plays shortstop in high school. All the drafted, they move around, they do whatever. It would be a great sign if this player they drafted out of high school, who they love, actually turns out to be a shortstop and plays shortstop, right? Um, most all of the, the big drafts have had high in the draft over the last 15 years have been alleged shortstops, right? You know, infielders. And even Billy Butler was drafted as an infielder. Alex Gordon is supposed to be a third baseman. You know, they're supposed to do all this. And now I think it would be great if he did. Bobby was actually a high-level shortstop. That would be great news to me. I don't want to see him going and playing third base because I think it's not a failure, but it's not what you want, right? You want this guy to be that. There is reason to be excited about a lot of these young players. You mentioned Benny. He came up last year. He performed well. Bobby had a, had a successful rookie year. I think he improved as the year went along. Uh, we got a little taste of uh, Michael Massey. Well, I've heard really good things about as a hitter. You know, they'd love him to be the second baseman. And we saw when they made the trades, you know, got rid of uh, Ben and Timby last year and Whit Merrifield. You got to see more of uh, Prado and uh, Nate Eaton and these guys. But there's some reason they thought Michael A. Taylor's not here taking ABs from anyone anymore. I thought Drew Waters was pretty good uh, when he got when he got up there last year. I'll give you a little injury news on him. He's got a bit of a tweak or a strain of the oblique. He's not going to do anything for a few days. I hate hearing about obliques. That's a bad thing for baseball players. How many how many obliques did uh, Alberto Mondesi have over the years? You know, yeah. I don't think they're super concerned, but I would rather him be a thousand percent healthy right now to see what he can do. I don't know where you stand on Kyle Isbell. They like him. They think they, he can be a guy who can play a lot in the outfield for him. 
think there's a lot of good things about this team to be excited about. But there's probably going to be some bumps in the road, man. Young players, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to win. And they didn't really got to go young last year. Somebody got rid of Witt and been intended. Yeah. When it comes to the pitchers, obviously there's going to be a lot of, of battles. The locks would be Brady Singer, Zach Grinke, and I'd probably throw in Jordan Lyles since he signed. I know you were really excited about Jordan Lyles. <laughs> I, honestly, Levo, in a nutshell, I'm okay with him signing Jordan Lyles. It seemed like this was the overpay while you're haggling over again a, a few thousand dollars for, for Brady Singer, yet it's you... It's the dumb thing about how baseball works. Jordan Lyles has been in the league since 12 years, so he can make $8 million. Hey, doesn't mean you have to sign him. Doesn't mean you have to sign a dude with a 4-4-2 ERA with the Orioles. Well, that, that's only half a run better than half the Royals. Uh, so, right? Man, uh, I mean, what was Brad Keller's ERA? Oh, I'm not talking about Brad Keller. Hey, I'm not talking. I, I, I was strictly talking Brady Singer, who had the 3.23 ERA. Yes. Full, full yes. point better. Almost what? One and a half better. Hey, hey, here's the way it works. Sorry, kid, you're a third year player. You don't get this money. It's just the way baseball works. Man, so Jordan Lyles number three, and then probably, and you're looking at Daniel Lynch. So you're. I think I would. I think Daniel Lynch would be a great. It would be great if he could. Realize his potential and be a starting pitcher. You know, I like Chris Lewis a lot as well, but, you know, he's working on some new things. He's working with a slider now. That'd be great if they had a lefty to throw in there, you know. Um, so, we'll see. I mean, it's going to take a while to figure this out. What's the kid's name? Rudolph from Tampa. Yeah. I would, I would expect that he's someone that the car knows is going to get a good chance. Um, it's, but it's not going to be. I mean, you're not going to be so five guys out there. Go boom, 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 boom. You know, it's going to. It's going to be rough. At least you guys missed the start. At least you guys are going to lose their spot. And, and hopefully, you won't have too many days where there's. You know, you only got me three innings, and now we're going to go crush this bullpen today. You know, they they need to get some innings out of their sub. Have they talked at all uh, about the use of an opener? Because Ryan Yarbrough would be someone that could fit into the equation there. Again, he, he did it with the Rays. He was a starter as well as reliever in about 50-50 uh, in, in his stint with Tampa Bay. Any talk of using an opener? Well, we, we, we kind of glossed over that, like in his opening press conference and a couple of interviews that Cortar has done. He's just not prepared to answer those things until he sees what he's got. Sure. Listen, the opener went for Tampa. It worked for Tampa because they didn't have five really good starters. If you have five really good starters, you don't use an opener. Um, you have to do it out of necessity. I think this looks like a team that may fit that bill. Probably don't have five really good starters. And they do have some nice pieces in the bullpen. And that's where you come in and if like Jackson Thor could ever command a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, maybe he could be someone who's an opener. Or the guy who comes in in the, in the third inning and goes three and a half or four innings. You know what I mean? Uh, so they, they have they have potential to to be openers, or if you're going to have an opener, you need to have somebody that can throw three innings behind me, right? You can't just throw nine guys out there throwing innings a piece. So I think they've got some pretty decent um, options to do that. But you know, uh, the Tampa kid is one who's done it before, so he seems to be someone who would be uh, a real spot for that. But Petraro hasn't said, "Yeah, we're doing this at this point yet." I think that's going to be probably a month from now question so all right dylan what was your question so my question todd was i remember someone i think it was jeff passing on Seren's show saying that 
Tampa Bay values first pitch strikes more than anything. And I think that was probably one of our problems was getting behind in so many counts as a pitching staff. Did you notice a difference in any of that or any of that like well, teaching maybe coming across? They've got shirts that they've made. And the shirts on the back of them raid the zone. So that is 1,000%. Love it. The focus of this pitching staff. you got to go raid the zone. That means throwing first pitch strikes. So many times when this team's got in trouble last year, it's because you know two zero counts, three one counts, hitters count, and everyone knows you're a better pitcher if you're ahead in the count. You just are, and they, they were not good at that. But um, we were joking with Petraro yesterday about it because I don't think those shirts are licensed. They don't talk about it and put pictures out there too much. They're all major league baseball licensing. There's kind of a crown on them, but not really. But it says raid the zone. That is their thing. They want to raid the zone. And saying it and doing it are two different things, obviously. But that is a thousand percent what they want to do. They want to be first pitch strike throwers for sure. Todd Lebo, live from Arizona. Did you bring your golf clubs at least down there? Are you crushing Dude, some good some good food? Working all day. I was on the border patrol at six in the morning out here, seven in the morning back in Kansas City. We're grinding out here at the stadium, so it'll be six o'clock your time. Then I'm gonna go probably have two cold beers and a fat meal and go to sleep. Well, I'll watch you, Jayhawk. Hey, hey, I'll take the over on the two beers. I'll take the over there. I'll tell you how big they were. Todd Levo, have fun, man. All right, guys. We'll take a quick break. Come back. We'll be joined by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry right after this. Football fans, it's Chiefs Hall of Famer Nick Lowry. Celebrate game day with El Bandito Yankee tequila and ultra premium tequila made only from 100% Blue Weber agave, the finest agave from the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico. No fake colorings or flavors in there, verified additive-free Blanco and Reposado. Maybe that's why they've won the double-blind platinum and gold medals and now are listed as one of the world's top tequilas by Rolling Stone Magazine, by Esquire, you name it. Make this season so smooth, it's criminal. With El Bandito Yankee, the official tequila of game day, and be sure to visit ElBanditoYankee.com. Welcome back in. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Nick, how are you doing? Buddy, you know what? It just occurred to me that Sterling is appropriate because that Sterling Silver Super Bowl champion trophy, <laughs> the Vince Lombardi trophy, goes nicely with the Lamar Hunt trophy. And uh, that Sterling Silver trophy, representing the second Super Bowl by Patrick Mahomes and, and Andy Reid in this team, cements this team as not being a fluke of any kind. Of course, five straight AFC championship games would say otherwise, but let's, let's be real. If we didn't win that game, there'd be those that would say, you know, it was great. We ended the 50 year drought, but it's very hard to win a Super Bowl. Instead, I hearken back Sterling to 2018. We just lost the AFC championship game to Tom Brady because D Ford supposedly was one inch offside and we intercepted on that pass, which would have won it for us. And then we would have been in the Super Bowl again. And um, I, luckily for me, I was nominated uh, for the Steinberg D. Nicola Award in Atlanta. 
and backstage, a guy named Patrick Mahomes, looking very young and just that same, you know, angelic positive energy is with me because he's going to present the word to me with Lee Steinberg on stage in a, in a couple minutes. And I said to him, let's win ourselves a Super Bowl, buddy. And he goes, without hesitation, let's win a bunch. <laughs> so now we're in the beginning of a bunch and we can never take it for granted. That's the key. I, t- I posted in every Instagram and Facebook, if you guys ever look for it, Lowry, Nick, excuse me, Nick Lowry, 88. And of course, Nick, the kick, Nick Lowry on Facebook. I always would hashtag earn it because that's in the end what these guys did. They earned it. They earned it. They earned it. I want to start with, of course, Patrick Mahomes and earning it by being the leader, not only throwing and running, but just simply the example of toughness in the midst of his kind demeanor, the toughness he's shown the last three weeks with that injured ankle. But then I want to move on to Jarek McKinnon because that gesture, that decision, that discipline to hold up when he realized that the Eagles were going to let him run right in with a minute 48 left and third and eight to dig in his heels, literally stop eight inches from the goal line, that won the game for us. That won the game for us because he understood that if we score then, that there's a decent shot that they can come back and score a touchdown and, and may even go for two points and beat us. So, you know, that's what a great team does. And in the interviews, I was so honored. I want to say to all my friends at Fox and uh, let's see now, Mick Schaefer at NBC, Chris Ketz at, at um, ABC, and um, Nate Vickers at KCTV5. They all did wonderful stories. John Holt, all of the – I mean this in a good way, the Kansas City football and media mafia came down to my home where I live now, even though I come back to Kansas City a lot and come to about eight games a year. But I want to thank them, you know, because, you know, I I said that this was a celebration. This this week was a celebration no matter what happened. But, But let's face it, we are so lucky to have a team with an unparalleled quarterback. And what's so important and what is such a loss so often is the great ones that have one or two good years and then they, they let it get to their head. And it could be so easy for Patrick Mahomes to let this go to his head, for Travis Kelsey to let it go to his head, to, for Andy Reid to say, okay, I've done it, that's enough, for Chris Jones, for all those guys to say, we, we've done it. You know, we've we've hit the mother load and, and their hunger and their humility um, precedes them. And the fact that they hang together and hung together the entire season through a couple of disappointing losses, certainly. But for the most part, just getting used to in a so-called rebuilding year to have the capacity to keep getting better with seven or four, you know, in the, in the secondary that really epitomized it, just rookies who are only going to get better which is another testimony that everybody in this organization deserves credit from Mark Donnelly making a great stadium experience to obviously Clark Hunt, who was the 16-year-old ball boy in 1980. Of course, I'm only four years old, who <laughs> who charted me against Jan Stenerud and, and now in something like 18 years as, as the uh, owner for the Chiefs, taking over, taking the baton, the baton from one of the great owners in the history of the game, Lamar Hunt, all the way down to Andy Reid and all of the coaches. These are great teachers. 
and Brett Veach, the general manager who selected guys that humble themselves. Kadarius Tony, another phenomenal example uh, of acquisition who could not succeed in New York, who was even when he came the first week, he uh, got caught up in social media as it had been his ghost haunting him in New York. And then since then, boom, he's been absorbed into the family of the Kansas City Chiefs. And let's just mention two plays. <laughs> a touchdown, he runs in. Great, incredible scheme by Eric Bieniemy. God bless him. God rest his soul. And, of course, Andy Reid um, and Matt Nagy. But he scores that touchdown. And I had said all along this past week to my friends from the Kansas City media that he would be an X factor. He would be someone that they just don't know what to do with. And then he catches a punt and returns the longest punt in Super Bowl history down to, what was it, the six-yard line or something, (laughs) to set up the next and last touchdown. So, you know, there's so many heroes on this team, and I just pray that that humility and hunger continues because if it does, this team is positioned to win another one in Vegas. And you've got to keep getting better at everything. You can never take it for granted. You always have to earn it. But, wow, Sterling Silver – Vince Lombardi Trophy, it feels beyond magical, and we are all grateful. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here. I want to bring up something between the Chiefs team, which we've mentioned the leadership, the hunger, the drive, and the city itself of Kansas City. It feels like they're synonymous with each other. You don't see this in every city with every single team, every single sports team, but it really does feel like the Chiefs team has a special connection with the city and the fan base. Nothing, Taking nothing away from, from teams like Las Vegas and the Raiders, but when you think of Las Vegas, the first thing you think of, uh, probably not the Raiders, when you think of L.A., you're the first thing you think of is the Rams or the Chargers, but when you think of Kansas City, you think of the Chiefs and the Chiefs in Kansas City. Is there just a special connection between the city and this team? First of all, I don't think there's a a heck of a lot of connection with the Chargers at this point in L.A. Um, You know, and and the Rams, they won a Super Bowl a year ago and then disappeared this year. And, you know, they'll be back, I'm sure. They'll be a better team next year. But it's the continuity. And it it does – it absolutely starts with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. It really does – the capacity now with Matt Nagy stepping back into his role. Um, But as I said, I remember early on when we were doing these weekly shows at the beginning that I had heard firsthand that Patrick had, he had a a chip on his shoulder. And, um, you know, I think everybody in Kansas city, to your point, felt that chip on our shoulder. We were robbed, I think, because of that horrible accident two days before the Super Bowl during the middle of COVID and the team had to fly in right in the middle of that. And they just, you know, they just weren't in the right place. Now we have been, if you'll forgive this, I kind of mean this, that we have been baptized of that bad energy and we are so grateful. And and the the city, um, as great as the Kansas City Chiefs were with Len Dawson, people can now start saying, you know, (laughs) this is one, this, this team's won two of them. So, you know, we love Len Doss. We love Bobby Bell. We love Willie Lanier. We love Jan Stenerud, uh, you know, uh, Buck Buchanan, the, the Hall of Famers. And, and that team itself is just so extraordinary. But this team has a, a chance now to put itself in a place above that. And I guess maybe to some degree, 
Fitzpatrick and, and, and the whole team would say, we don't care about that. We just care about being the best that we can be. And that to me is kind of all of our journeys in life, you know, to be the best we can be. It just so happens that this team now can take the baton from Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. It's perfect timing. And uh, we'll see if it happens. But uh, right now it's looking good. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry joining us right here. In your eyes, in your estimation, I know this might be a little premature, but obviously when you've been to five straight AFC Championship games, you've hosted all five, you've been to three Super Bowls, you've won two of them. At what point do you start considering this a dynasty? I think you consider it after the third one. I think you can say that it is at least a mini dynasty. I mean, to compare it with the, the Patriots, I mean, we're talking ten, nine Super Bowls. Right. And six victories. Um, You know, that's two out of three, which is what we are right now. Um, And that's that's a ways to go. I mean, that's over a generation. So the good news is Patrick Mahomes, you know, he can play another 10 years. Um, And and as we have seen, we can't count on that. We cannot count on, on that. We pray for it. But, you know, the injuries that he's overcome. You know, it's an injury-prone league. There were, I think, 64 different quarterbacks going into the last week of the season that started. Um, So we can't count on that, but it's great to have it. And frankly, I'm going to say something that maybe not everybody has said, which is when Chad Hetty was going to come into the game um, and our man just shook it off, I had confidence that we could win the Super Bowl with Chad Hetty. I had confidence that he had that ability to throw accurately, to not give it up and make a mistake, and and to get to that third, fourth receiver. He may not have been able to run quite the same way, absolutely. He, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but we owe a lot to Chad Henry, uh, Henry because, you know, without that 98-yard, right, Chiefs record playoff drive right when Patrick was first injured, we may not ever have made it to Phoenix. So. Um, yeah, we're, we are in the beginning of what could be a dynasty, and I will keep repeating it. You have to earn it, you have to stay humble, and you have to stay hungry. And you have to continue to make hard choices as to who you keep and who you have to let go. Uh, that's what the Patriots had to do, to figure out who's got that, is at that place where, you know, they're at 20 or 30 million, you know, or 15 million, and, and they're still good players, and, and, and they're loved and appreciated. But you have to also treat it like a business and make a, every offseason two players, if not three, that we really love might not be here. And yet also make the great choices in terms of draft picks, in terms of free agent acquisitions, because that salary cap is the Grim Reaper. I'm not sure if anybody said that before. I like it. The salary cap is the green Grim Reaper, and uh, it will knock off key members of your team, and you have to figure out what's the best balance. Our defense – was not good, um, you know, at, at, at times during the season. But they came back. Frank Clark reemerged. They made key interceptions. Chris Jones made absolutely phenomenal key sacks, game-ending and, and resolving uh, sacks for us at the end when it mattered. And that is a testimony to the coaching staff and the relationship of the players that continue to want to get better, that they're never going through the motions.
Yeah. I, I will also give a quick shout out, shout out to Chad Henney. Like you mentioned, he earned that El Bendito Yankee tequila. I hope, hopefully he got some after that game because going 98 yards, uh, you definitely get some of the best tequila in the world, which is El Bendito Yankee tequila. But I want to talk to you about Harrison Bucker. Obviously, Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry, who knows better than you. After the first missed field goal, that 42-yarder, I think Andy Reid made the right call. I know, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. You look back and say maybe he should have gone for it. But in that moment, on the same field, or at least same arena, same stadium where Bucker got injured game one of the season, you're trying to give him some confidence. Well, as the game wore on, we started to realize everyone was slipping. It seemed like the paint was was causing issues on both sides. One, how difficult is that for a kicker? And two, were you nervous at all about Butker on that final field goal? Well, once again, you can't, can't take it for granted, but from 26, 27 yards, I guess it was, um, you know, if it had been back at past 40, yeah, I would have been more nervous um, because psychologically, you know, going through his head is, you know, what if this happens again? And, and yet we remember that he took a one step, which takes less sort of, you know, uh, energetic movement. So there's less chance of a slip and hits that 54 yarder against the Cardinals in game one. Um and let, let's just say that it's great that that happened. I had some friends, my friend Russell Hitchcock, the lead singer for Air Supply, traded some texts with me saying he was disappointed that we didn't go for the touchdown there and, and let Patrick Mahomes run it in. Um, but you know what? We were in a position to hold on to the ball, to not give them the ball back, and to knock it through. And from 27 yards, actually, it could have been like 24 or 23 yards, but Patrick backed up a few yards when he was trying to eat up the clock there at the end. Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to Bucker, though, because I know it's a shorter field goal, and you obviously expect him to make it, but just seeing the field conditions, seeing what was yeah. going on and transpiring throughout the game, yep. it was no guarantee of, of not slipping, no guarantee of getting the snap down, not having anything going wrong. I, you know, I just got to give a, a huge shout-out in that moment coming up huge and you saw the elation from Harrison Butker at the parade he got off the bus one of the first dudes off going into the crowd giving high fives I just think that's an incredible moment for Harrison Butker well I mean come on three field goals um you know in the uh, second week in the game winner a 51 and a 50 yarder in the first game you know and then the game winner again in the Super Bowl so hats off to him um, because this has been his toughest year, and yet he's still one of the best kickers in the NFL, and he handles it like the rest of the team, uh, but particularly well. He handles his success well, and he also has handled it when he was not being successful, and that's, that's the uh, testimony to a great person who uh, you know is always going to work to get better and never take it for granted, and those are the teams that consistently do well. I think of my friend Steve Largent, who uh, you know ran about a four eight forty, but hit that four eight forty in the fourth quarter. He was still quick and still made the Hall of Fame, <laughs> and was always working to get better. The great players, McCaffrey. If you look at his workout schedule uh, and the injuries he's overcome, and what he did uh, this past season with San Francisco, combined with Brock Purdy, you know, but without McCaffrey, Purdy, I don't think would have been you know basically. Um, unbeaten except for that the game when he was injured in the in the NFC championship game so those kind of qualities of of players that's who you want on your team the guys that when the chips are down they always pull the team together and uh, from what I understand Patrick made an impassioned speech at halftime 
that just put chills in people's spines. And you saw the results. I mean, combined with Andy Reid and the coaching staff, and and you know, I could I could mention all the different coaches, but I just just the innovation that separates the great coaches um, to be able to do it, not just have a great game plan, but to adjust and then to not punt in the second half to score on every possession. You know, um, Canary's Tony, Tony made that the last, uh, the second to last drive a little bit easy since it was only six yards or so. But, you know, that, that is a testimony to the phenomenal clutchness and presence of mind to be strategic and break things down. I will say that having a 30-minute halftime rather than 11 minutes, you know, I had a feeling was going to help us because the pattern with Andy, because he's such a great coach, because he has great tacticians around him, they had extra time to really think through and, and do iterations, if you will, with what they might do and finally come up with a plan in those 30 minutes that they would not have had time to if they'd only had 11. I will say this. We normally give a El Bendito Yankee player of the game, right? We normally give one dude, but I think it's fair to say, Nick, the entire team earned that tequila. What do you say? I want to send, and I'm going to send this to Jim Bob Morris, our founder. Um, I think we need to send a case to Andy Reid. I, I think after watching the parade, I don't think Patrick needs any more alcohol for a week or two. Uh <laughs> And we love you, brother. Truly love you, man. I mean, who doesn't love this guy? But Andy Reid, we love you because um, you brought just a golden fleece of gifts to this town, which has been going through a renaissance. By the way, I don't think I've said this before, but when I stopped playing for the Chiefs, Kansas City was already a great town, a very good town, a good place to live, et cetera. It is even better now. It's got more culture, more diversity, uh, a younger um population uh it's just a more dynamic town it is the best kept secret of any city in the country and when you throw into it the kansas city chiefs it trumps them all mm. very very well spoken right there chiefs hall of fame kicker nick lowry by the way if no one has tried this if you've not gone out and gotten it what are you doing but el bandito yankee tequila uh, it is one of the world's top tequilas as named by rolling stone this season, I think it's fair to say, oh. Nick, it was so smooth, it's criminal. Am I right? You are. And by the way, there is an article in Forbes magazine this month that talks about how we have begun to separate, we, me, meaning El Bandito Yankee, separate ourselves from the others. Lots of, there's a thousand different qualities, but by, by focusing on sports, that's the title of the article. El Bandito is quickly making a name for itself. That's in Forbes magazine. Take a look at it. Uh, and that's, to me, you could draw a little bit of a uh, parallel, right? You've got to have good leadership, and you've got to have great product, right? You've got to have a strategic leadership. Jim Bob Morris was in training camp with me with the Chiefs back in 83 when I was only four years old, of course. And, and, and Chris Chilios, Hall of Famer from hockey, you know, three years ago. And I've been part of this team now coming on two years in about two months, but, you know, to build a product with the best uh, ingredients and the most skilled people to have the production process, that is a great parallel to making sure, like Brett Veach, that you have the right people on the field and you have the team that's getting out there um, that know how to work together as a team. That is a beautiful thing, and that's why we're beginning to separate ourselves from the competition even more so than a year ago. 
Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Grab you some tequila. Have some fun. Make sure you listen to Nick Lowry because good tequila, El Benito Yankee tequila. Good Chiefs takes, Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. Always a pleasure, my man. Great team, Kansas City Chiefs, and, and great teammates, Nick. And the Sterling one, well, I might, my nickname might be for you, Trophy. I think I'm going to start calling it Trophy. <laughs> I'll take it, man. I've heard, I've heard way trophy, worse. Baby. I, I've heard way worse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. True, Dylan. Is that what you like? Don't go to a disco. Will you not get out on the floor, Dylan? No. You a dancer? I'm a hip mover. Big hip mover guy? Yep. I big sway guy. Big sway. Just right in the pocket. Just one. There you go. Sway and snap. That's all you got to have, baby. You have the, the sway and snap. You're golden. I'm not a disco guy. Have you been to Funky Town? I see a smile back there. He's saying no. I think he's nervous. What happened at Funky Town, Dylan? Who hurt you? I've never you? been. It just made me giggle. When Who hurt that. you? Who hurt you, Dylan? Come on. You at least got to go one time. Where is Funky Town? Raytown. I've never been. Honest. I'm pretty sure I'm going to search Town. it. You've never been. You lived in Kansas City for how long? I guess it technically is in Kansas City, Missouri. It's legitimately a 70s slash 80s disco dance club. By the way, with the NFL over, you're going to get way more Funky Town talk. Way well, is, more. This, <laughs> is this what uh, Lips Inc. was speaking about in their song? I uh, Frankly, I think that may have been first before Funky Town, the bar in Kansas oh, okay. City. I but not know. Okay. You know, no, it's a good good question and one that I, I don't want to just so. I feel like I had to say that I was sarcastic so people don't actually think yeah. I was serious there. Yeah. But, yeah. You were being facetious. We'll go with that one. Great word. I love that word. All right. You want to get into some of the new baseball rules? Seems like you'd be intrigued by that, Dylan. Seems like... Going to need to know for first five, so let's do it. <laughs> also, shout out to Lebo for a segment. Down there, watching Gaucho's baseball. I feel so sorry. He's in Arizona, watching... College Wait. baseball, yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Having a few beers. Getting a nice little... Pre tan on, you know, yeah, but, base layer. Yeah, but Lebo, you got to you got to watch out. You right. got the, the the dome. You got to put some sunscreen on. Yes, doesn't have the any locks to stop the sun. I feel like that's better though. It's like you don't have to do your hair every morning. The only thing you have to worry about is sunscreen. That's it. Disagree. I could put a hat on. That's true. I guess he could too. Yeah, he could too. But that's I, usually the move. I do not want to put sunscreen on my head ever. 
That that might be one of my one day one of my rules. One Don't, day we all will. N- I know. Who knows? What are you, are you planning to go before that happens? Yeah. Like God yes. Willing, take me before. Yes. <laughs> Have do you see me? Do you see what I would look like? Bald. I think you'd be good. It'd be terrifying. All I can grow is a mustache, facial hair wise. So you would just see a bald dude with a mustache. My facial structure is not does not bode well for that. You do not want to see. You can grow a full beard. You're good. If you can grow a full beard, you can go bald. Yeah. You got to have a hair on at least one north or you know. Lebo's the the rare case where he's been he's been. There bald. were so many pause moments. I just diverted from. Yeah. yeah. That sentence. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. This should be his new bumper when he comes back on the show and he wasn't even involved in it. I just want to use the one they use for the zone. The Big yeah. Lebowski entrance. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that one. Yeah. And by the way, we should have known the Chiefs are going to win because the dude bleep and hates the Eagles, man. Exactly. Should have known. All right, quickly. Pitch clock. Pitch clock going to keep the game moving along. There's been one in the past, but it's never really been enforced. There will be a 30-second timer between batters, a 15-second timer between each pitch, and then a 20-second timer between each pitch with runners on base. So I did wind surge games last year, and they were implementing this in that level, all levels really, just to test it. And games were two hours, two to two and a half hours. That is every time. It's amazing. So if they enforce it, great. And it, uh, to be honest, as a pitcher, when you're going, some pitchers are good some with pitchers this, do that, yeah. But most pitchers kind of like to get in a groove, and that groove can be like, all right, I take a couple steps this way, yep. like it's a dance almost. So it almost might make more offense occur just because pitchers aren't really they're kind of getting out over their skis. Most of them, a lot of them, sure, might, because that'll be out of their. It's almost like a beat, I guess, mm-hmm. a song. Like some guys like a slow beat. Some guys want it to be up pace. Like it's just to each their own. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see whose numbers are affected by what, this. What I'm intrigued with, because they've had something like this in the past, but no one's ever enforced it. What they're going to do is if you wait too long, it's an automatic ball. Yeah. Yep. That's how they did it down there. So there's at least a repercussion, not just a, hey, you better do it, and the pitchers just don't do it, and they say, okay, or what? And it's a strike for batter, if I'm not mistaken, as well. A batter must be in the batter's box and alert by the eight-second mark on the timer, or else, or else it is an automatic strike. What constitutes beginning of a delivery, you may say? When a pitcher takes a step back or laterally when winding up, or if they lift their leg up in delivery in the stretch. This also means... Cracking down on box. Kinley Jansen, you know he does a little little butt wiggle. It's going to be a balk now. Mike Clevenger, the dancing feet where he just goes back and forth. Also going to be a balk. And then Luis Garcia when he rocks the baby. You know what I'm talking about when he, he does that 35-second intro where he rocks the baby and then throws a pitch. Now going to be considered a balk. We'll talk more about this tomorrow in more detail, but... I'm intrigued by this. I like this. Actual repercussions, actual rules being enforced. I will give Rob Manfred some credit. Back tomorrow to talk all this and more. Home stretch here, ESPN Kansas City. Until then, we are out. Says,